0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So,
1: no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
2: To paraphrase Sophia Loren, I'd rather eat bread and olive oil and drink wine than be a size zero. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) I don't know when I knew it, but olive oil is a part of who I am. It's what I eat, what I cook with, how I take care of myself. And it has always been a comfort, especially when I'm in the Mediterranean. And I've learned that a lot of people feel the same way as I do.
2: My earliest memories are going to the bakery first thing in the morning and getting like a warm loaf of bread and coming back home and having really good olive oil that's a little peppery and almost buttery. And having a little coarse salt, which I, we always had because we used to actually go collecting it sometimes from the sort of little basins around the island. You know, you pour the olive oil on a plate, you sprinkle the coarse salt over it, and then you dip that hot bread.
1: Diane Kochilis is a cookbook author and host of the public television show, My Greek Table. She's also the owner of a cooking school on the Greek Isle of Ikaria. She's traveled to Greece most summers since she was 12 years old spreading the gospel of olive oil for as long as she's been in the kitchen, along with fostering a feeling of connection while sharing really good food.
2: So much of of our life and my life as a child revolved around what was gonna happen at the dinner table. What was cooking? What conversations would we have? What would be resolved or fought over?
1: In the last 30 years, olive oil has become one of the go-to oils in American kitchens. We consume about a liter per person every year. But that is nothing compared to 20 liters per person in Greece.
2: I remember this this young man being completely shocked at the quantity of olive oil that went into just about
1: everything. I called Diane Kuchilas because, as a Greek-American, well, olive oil has always been the star of her food, something she stresses in her cooking classes. But the use of olive oil in Mediterranean cooking? It goes back thousands of years. And it's all part of the process of Greek cooking today.
2: Cook your onion and then maybe add garlic and then maybe add your chickpeas and your you know spinach if that's one recipe, or eggplant and onion and tomato, and just giving you throwing out some lavera dishes. And that cooks very la strongly. Lavera. Lavi is the word for oil, but it's used almost mm. exclusively to mean olive oil.
0: Why is that?
2: It's just the way we say, you know, band-aid. Oh, to mean, okay. you know, the brand. But you know what I'm saying? It has become generic.
1: Olive oil, to me, it's more than just flavors or health benefits. Olive oil provokes memories, the personal ones, like the taste I remember as a child, but also cultural memories. All the different ways I use olive oil because someone thousands of years ago did it first. Olive oil takes me back in time, and I think it does for Diane, too. It's one of the reasons why she's devoted her career to studying and sharing Greek cooking.
2: It's sort of like been my life's mission to share it with the world and inform the world of this incredibly healthy, delicious, robust, you know, cuisine that has, you know, pe- is peppered with so much
1: history. Everything we eat has a story to tell. Welcome to If This Food Could Talk, a history show for everyone who eats. I'm Claudia Hanna. I teach Mediterranean cooking classes and lead culinary tours to Cyprus, Greece, and Turkey. I introduce food lovers from around the globe to a taste of the old world and to the history behind what they're eating. Today on the show, olive oil. Not just an ingredient, but a way of life. We're taking you to the Greek Isle of Crete to meet one of the oldest olive trees in the world and the archeologist who's working to preserve its ancient history then to my home in Virginia for an olive oil tasting with a certified olive oil expert. He'll give us some tips on choosing the right olive oil for every occasion. And I'm going to give you a roasted black olive recipe that is so simple, you're going to want to add it to every dinner party you throw. But before we get to all that, we're going olive picking after the break.
0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did
2: it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: Welcome back. Autumn in the Mediterranean is one of my favorite times of the year, it's harvest season. Every year, my family sets out to make olive oil from the five trees on our property. Now, in my head, the idea of picking olives seemed awfully romantic at first. Something from a Tuscan movie set, right? I thought it would be an adventure, but (laughs) let me be real with you. It is not that. It is hard work. Here's how it typically goes. We start early in the morning. Me, my husband, my children, and their grandparents. It is a real family affair. We're decked out in long sleeve shirts and boots because olive trees are thorny and they're gonna scratch you up. My kids only pick at the bottom of the tree for about 15 minutes until they get bored. But for me, oh no, I climb our wobbly old wooden ladder to pick the upper branches and the ladder leans a little too precariously against the tree. And while I'm up there, my family's under me, being pelted by falling twigs and olives and everybody's yelling at each other. And this goes on for hours and hours, all weekend. I laugh about it now because how could I have ever thought that this backbreaking work would be fun? But the thing is, all of our labor is worth it. I give up a weekend of my life, and in return, I get a year's supply of fresh-pressed organic olive oil—so much that I can share it with my friends and neighbors and still have some leftover at the end of the year. And it's in these moments that I realize everything I love about life in the Mediterranean is embodied in the olive tree. It brings family and community together in this constant cycle of give and take. And when I say constant, I mean it. It's the same families harvesting the same trees for generations. Because an olive tree can live for thousands of years.
0: It's part of the
1: of the Mediterranean
0: landscape. It's just, uh, uh, you, I, you can't imagine a Mediterranean landscape without an olive tree.
1: That's Anaya Sarpaki, archaeologist and olive tree preservationist. It's a very temperamental tree, very much like the
0: Mediterranean people. It's a tree that grows where it, where it suits it, you know, to the direction it suits it. It doesn't grow in circles in a, in a, in a very systematic way. It grows to where the wind blows, you know. It, the trunk doesn't need to be round. It could be oval. It can have valleys and, and,
1: uh, and peaks, you know, in areas which you don't expect. I called Anaya at her home in Crete to better understand why the olive tree and olive oil are so embedded in Mediterranean culture. I have to say, I have to say, Anaya, I thought I had a lot of cicadas in my house in Cyprus. If that's yours with the windows shut, (laughs) you win. (laughs) You totally win. I think I do. (laughs) With the sound of cicadas buzzing around us, Anaya tells me about an important olive tree in the village of Anavuvas in Crete. It's huge. A stout 13 feet wide and just over 20 feet high.
0: You can't put your arms around it because it's several meters in diameter. Three people should need to put their arms around, you know. They have to touch each other.
1: The trunk of this giant olive tree spirals up in a mess of knots and old branches that seem to climb over each other. It's like a wrinkled old man with a poof of bushy gray leaves for hair. But the reason this tree is important to the Mediterranean culture isn't because of its size but rather its age. What was the feeling that you got the first time you saw the tree, that you stood underneath it?
0: Well, it's a, it's
1: a feeling of
0: awe, you know, and how, how small our lives are. You know, if you think about it, this tree has been living there, you know, i seen generations and generations of people.
1: This tree has seen the rise and fall of empires, from the Bronze Age to the age of the internet. It stood in this village providing shade and olive oil to the people of Crete. The Vuvus tree, as it's called, is somewhere between 2,000 and 4,000 years old, making it one of the oldest trees in the world. What's even more impressive is that this tree still produces olives to this day, actually feeding people. It's part of this cycle of give and take that I mentioned earlier. So I couldn't help but wonder... If this piece of living history could talk, what would it tell us? It would have begun like
0: a little a little wild olive tree peeping out of the soil. And somebody saying, oh, that's a good one. That's a, a strong wild olive tree. That's a, it's in a good position in my garden. I'll draft it and make it into a, a domesticated tree, you know. And that's how I think (laughs) its story started, really, basically.
1: (laughs) That somebody might have been a member of the Minoan civilization. The Minoan people lived in Crete 3,000 years ago, before it was even part of Greece. Back then, the Vuvus tree was like any other olive tree. It would have been a source of oil and table olives. But on this island, Vuvus was more than that. It was the cornerstone of Minoan culture. Over the last several decades, Anaya has unearthed Minoan settlements here, finding fragments of olive pits, charcoal, and even pottery, depicting priestesses standing in front of olive trees. So in Minoan times, you know, the olive tree was considered a, a sacred tree of life. Their reverence for this tree meant that it had to be treated with respect. So when they used it... Nothing is wasted.
0: Everything is recycled you know, to make doors, windows, beams. In in between walls, they used lots of wood. You preserve things in olive oil. For example, if they wanted to preserve fresh trees. They put it in olive oil. They used it for um, anointing their clothing to make it waterproof. They used the olive oil for lamps and, of course, in food. Uh, and olives are, are uh, things that you can take with you. It's It's very... Highly calorific, nutritious food, so you can actually keep it as a little uh, snack in your pockets, you know, take it up the mountains and, and nibble at that. You know, with a bit of bread,
1: it can form a meal. The original protein bar, perhaps. Exactly, exactly, yes. Olive oil was the Minoans' most valuable commodity. They traded it with their neighbors. Actually, ancient Egyptians used olive oil in the mummification ritual for their pharaohs. All that to say, this sacred tree, forget the food, it was a symbol of vitality. Take, for example, the Olympic laurels, maybe the most iconic use of the olive tree. The Olympic Games started in 700 BC, approximately. According to legend, a young boy would cut the branches of a sacred olive tree with golden scissors and place them on a golden ivory table in the temple of the goddess Hera. The judges of the games would weave the branches into wreaths and fill narrow neck jars with the ultimate prize. What Homer referred to as liquid gold. The trophy for a winner was
0: olive oil. They could live on a whole year in the, with their family with this olive oil.
1: Not just any olive oil. The finest olive oil in Greece. For a young athlete, that wreath and that olive oil represented eternal glory. Obviously, olive oil doesn't carry that same importance today. But hearing Anaya list all those different uses, I couldn't help but notice. Not much has changed in the last couple thousand years. I mean, tell me a better appetizer than cheese and olive oil, or a more gorgeous bowl than one made out of olive wood. Even the Olympic laurels of today, they're still made from olive branches. And since 2004, those laurels have come from one place. And i I think you know what I'm about to say. The Vuvus tree. And you'd think with all this consumption, chopping down trees for wood, stripping them of their branches for laurels and their fruit for oil, that there wouldn't be many olive trees left. But that's the magic of the olive tree. The olive tree is a tree that can never
0: die. If you leave it, it doesn't die. It would regenerate continuously.
1: They're so resilient that even when the Minoans cut them down to the stump to build their houses or their boats, the olive tree would just grow right back. So you could almost say the Vuvus tree is immortal, like a Greek goddess. And according to Anaya, it seemed like the Minoans treated the trees that way, even offering olive oil as a sacrifice to the olive tree itself. Like other people pour uh, blood, for example. They could have poured
0: olive oil, returning the olive oil to the soil. And this kind of relationship with olive trees was a very important relationship. You know, it was totally
1: a staple in in every sense. For the last several years, Anaya has been working to preserve ancient olive trees like the Vuvus tree, monumental trees, as she calls them. There are at least 14 on the island of Crete alone. Part of Anaya's work is convincing farmers not to replace these old giants with younger, more productive trees. She does this by helping them connect to the tree's history, even relatively recent history. For instance, a lot of these monumental trees were godsends to farmers' families during World War II because olive trees grow hollow on the inside. The time of the German occupation when
0: people really hid in the hollow of a certain olive tree. You know, if a German was actually passing by, they could hide in there and, uh, and not be
1: seen. After talking with Anaya, I felt like I understood how the olive tree earned its place in Mediterranean culture. They're the giving tree, bountiful and generous. But more than that, they're the model for how Mediterranean people treat each other. Giving what we can, taking only what we need. Call me romantic, but when I'm standing on my wobbly old ladder picking olives with my family, I like to think that I'm part of that long tale of olive oil's history. And it doesn't hurt that it tastes so good. So with that in mind, I wanted to do a little giving myself. So I called up a couple of friends, I set a date, and invited a special guest to give us a practical guide to olive oil, using our taste buds.
3: When you taste something, even if you're at home and you're tasting not just olive oil, but anything. Think of what what memory does it bring back. And that way you'll always remember
1: it. When we come back, we'll meet an olive oil expert, bust a few olive oil myths, and I'll share a fast, easy, knock your socks off, roasted olive recipe. Welcome back. What better way to represent the legacy of olive oil than a dinner party among friends? All right. Cheers, everybody! Cheers. 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 Cheers! Welcome back, Tassos! Uh,
0: thank yeah. you. Yeah. Right, <laughs>
1: <tough>. <laughs> it's a chance to make memories around a table with cocktails and food drenched in that liquid gold. And a once-in-a-lifetime tasting with olive oil expert and my good friend, Dr. Tassos Keriakidis.
3: Uh, so, I was invited for dinner. All of a sudden, I'm doing this, which is great.
1: You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll feed you no. later. Actually, I've no, known exactly. Tassos for years. He's originally from Cyprus. He's a researcher and professor at the Yale School of Public Health. But in his free time, he works as a certified olive oil sommelier. And not just because he loves olive oil, but because he wants you to love it too.
3: Knowledge and experience acquired. Gets more value when you share it. And people ask me, you know, you're, you're posting these things so that you're cooking. And why are you doing that? I'm sharing that because I, I think food is, in particular is something that has to be shared.
1: So I invited a bunch of friends that Tassos hasn't seen for more than three years to my home in Charlottesville, Virginia. It was a reunion and an olive oil class mixed into one. We sat together at a long table with little cups of olive oil, arugula, and tomatoes lined up in front of us. I wish you could have been there. That said, if you're at home and have olive oil in your kitchen, I'd encourage you to pour yourself a shot glass or two and join us. Or you can try it on your own with some of your friends. We all found this so fascinating.
3: So the way we taste the olive oil, and you know, you, you put the cup in your palm and you cover it. And you kind of twirl it. And the reason we do that is, you know, this is a product that is pretty Love much it. a fresh olive juice. So we want to release whatever aromas it has by bringing it to a little bit higher temperature so the aromas come out. And depending on how close you have to bring it to your nose, okay. that's a sign of how strong that aroma is.
1: Once the olive oil is warmed, take a whiff and think about what you smell. Oh,
3: what do it. you smell? like it. Oh, wow. hmm? Cut
0: grass. Cut grass. grass. Cut grass. Okay. grass. Okay.
3: Yeah. I smell grass. Okay. I smell a little bit of lactic.
2: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: So the, what you smell might not necessarily translate in what you taste when you taste it. So once you get the sort of the, the smelling part, then drink it.
1: Bottoms up. The whole, the whole thing. Keep Bottom.
3: it in your mouth a little bit. Mm. And what is the first sensation that hits you? Again, there's no right or wrong answer. I want to share mine first. I want to hear what, what you're... That's a good sign <laughs> we a good olive oil. Um, and
1: then it hits us. Maybe it's hitting you, too. Our throats tingle. They constrict. <laughs> spicy. Spicy. This is the tuberculosis ward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: So what you coughed was because of a polyphenol
2: mm-hmm. called
3: oleocanthal. Mm-hmm. It's... It's a spicy feeling, and it makes you cough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people are—it's easy to recognize a very strong oil that has that because it's a we'll two-cough oil, it's a three-cough cough oil. <laughs> I love it.
1: Polyphenols are antioxidants, healthy compounds that help prevent disease and improve overall health. In some studies, three tablespoons of olive oil have been shown to have 10% the anti-inflammatory power of ibuprofen which at least partially explains why the Mediterranean diet is considered so healthy. Remember, Greeks drink 20 liters of it a year. And it's all these polyphenols that you want in a good olive oil, the stuff that makes you cough. It's because of these benefits that Tassos takes his consumption to the next level. I think you take shots of it? Yes, I drink that. You do shots every yes, morning. Every I saw morning. you this morning. Every morning. How much do you drink per day? Um,
3: like a a shot glass. Uh, I don't know what that is. Thirty cc's.
1: So that's like two to three tablespoons yes. per per day per morning. Yeah, on an empty stomach. On an empty
3: stomach. A lot of people think that that will upset my stomach. Yeah. Um, there was a study it's that was spicy. done. It's spicy. I mean, it's it's not quite tasty. It takes you a while to get used to it. But there was a study, actually, that was done by a nutrition group in Spain that showed that people who take olive oil first thing in the morning, it's almost like resetting your GI tract to be ready to absorb nutrients from the food you consume later. It's like the engine is starting. It's revving up using the olive oil.
1: Tassos has been doing this for nine years, so his body's used to it. But the next olive oil we tasted, I wouldn't recommend it on an empty stomach.
3: Now, this to me is like... I'm eating an olive from the tree. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. 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 The taste, the smell, <laughs> we're all caught. and the cough. This oil has the others we talked about four to five hundred milligrams per kilogram of the polyphenols. This is twelve, thirteen hundred.
1: At home, Tasso's has seven or eight different olive oils in rotation at a time, and he stores them in a wine fridge, which might sound over the top, but he's got good reason.
3: We're all friends here. I, I won't. I won't be offended if. Somebody tells me I store my oil next to the stove. Who does?
0: No, never.
2: Okay, okay. So,
3: three enemies it's of olive oil. Bad stuff light and oxygen.
1: Did you catch that? The three enemies of olive oil are heat, light, and oxygen.
3: If you open a bottle cover it right away, use your oil, cover it because it's going to oxidize.
2: Like your red wine?
3: Unlike red wine, consume the oil as fast as you can. (laughs) It doesn't age well. It doesn't age well.
1: Tasso says that olive oil should be consumed within six months of opening the bottle. And while I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you go out and buy seven different olive oils and a wine fridge, I would recommend keeping your olive oil in a cool, dry place. I keep mine in the refrigerator. Part of the reason Tassos takes this so seriously is because he believes sharing food is a lot like sharing who you are. It's a window into your personal history, a taste of the flavors you grew up with. Taste and smell are a key to our most precious memories. One whiff can bring you back in time.
3: Every time you taste something, whether it's olive oil or food, if you pay attention to have I been exposed to this before and where was I, who was I with, it, then you make that connection and you'll never forget it. And I'll give you an example. Um, end of 2018, I was in Puglia in Italy and we went to uh, three olive groves. It was just around harvest time. So fresh oil in tanks. So the guy says, you know, you know, taste the oils that we, I say, sure. So he hands me this thing and I'm about to grab it and I got this smell that brought me back 45 years ago. As a kid, I always remember on Saturdays, I would be at my grandmother's house from my dad's side. She always grew her legumes and in her garden. And there was one kind of, um, of legume that I really liked cutting the fresh stalk, fava beans. That oil had that smell. And I pause, and the guy is like, Are you okay? And I said, What is this cultivar? And he goes, This cultivar is a native of Puglia and it's called favolosa, fava beans. So, yeah, I said, I assume you eat it with a bean soup and you drizzle this oil, and that's dinner that night we had the bean soup, fava bean soup, with that oil. So that, to me, taking that idea of food as a vehicle that brings in memories from each individual and experiences, that's the difference with a culture that, that looks at food as a vehicle for connecting people.
1: Every one of the oils that Tassos keeps in his wine fridge is unique. They're from Greece, Spain, California, South Africa, Australia, Argentina, all over the world. And each one has the power to hearken back to the past, to his grandmother's garden, or to a camping trip in Cyprus when he was a teenager, or even to a dinner like tonight. New memories with old friends. And as small as these moments seem now, they're no smaller than the moments that the ancient Minoans shared. They didn't know that their culture would be part of history, that their relationship with the vuvis tree would continue on for 3,000 years and counting. They were just like us, making memories, telling stories, and sharing in the bounty of the olive tree. We're just living a new chapter of an old story.
3: I'm enjoying something that goes back thousands of years. Mm. So that never got lost along the way. Other things go away, but this... It's part of your identity.
1: Back on the Greek Isle of Ikaria, Diane Kochilas has 10 olive trees of her own on about an acre of land. She's on a different island altogether than the Vuvus tree, but at least one of her olive trees harkens back to the distant past.
2: Outside my door in the back, I have an olive tree that's probably about 500 years old, maybe even older. So it's like having a piece of sculpture. It's all gnarled and twisted.
1: It's like a young Vuvus. Maybe in 2,000 years, Diane's trees will be living proof of this culture for future generations. I can only hope. And maybe future generations will find some of my olive oil recipes in the ruins of ancient Charlottesville, Virginia. (laughs) If they do, I'd suggest my roasted black olive recipe. It's one of the quickest, most delicious appetizers I whip up while dinner guests are arriving, and we need something to nibble on while drinks are being mixed. It's only four ingredients, black olives, cherry tomatoes, a whole clove of garlic, and olive oil. Lots and lots of olive oil. For the full recipe, head over to ifthisfoodcouldtalk.com and check out the roasted black olive recipe. And if you're shopping for olive oil to go with this dish, read the label. Make sure it says cold-pressed, It will have the highest levels of those antioxidants Tassos mentioned earlier. Before I let Diane go, I had to ask. She's got olive trees. She makes her own olive oil. She must climb her own wobbly old ladder just like me to go olive picking.
2: Right? I'm a spoiled Greek-American princess from Queens. So... (laughs) After about five minutes of doing this on a cold, drizzly, foggy day in November, it's easier to hire the local guys to do this.
1: Can't say I blame her. From my kitchen to yours, Tisna Madake friends. Bless your hands. Take care. Thank you for listening to If This Food Could Talk with me, Claudia Hanna. If you want to support us, you can follow If This Food Could Talk on your favorite podcast listening app. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really helps. You can also get updates on bonus content by following me and American Public Television on Instagram, X, formerly known as Twitter, and Facebook. You can find more information on all of our guests this season on each episode's show notes. Production by Carriette Harmon, Tanner Robbins, Riva Goldberg, Jacob Lewis. Claudia Hanna, Nate Toby, John Barth, and the team at Great Feeling Studios. Editing by Yasmin Khan. Sound design by Tanner Robbins, Jacob Lewis, and Jason Sheesley. Associate producer, Kate Hayes. If This Food Could Talk is based on original concept by Claudia Hanna. Executive producers for APT Podcast Studios are Jim Dunford, Cynthia Fenneman, and Sean Halford. Art for this podcast was created by Jay Nunkesser. Special thanks to Stace Carter and to the Virginia Audio Collective at WTJU, community radio at the University of Virginia. APT, American Public Television, is the leading syndicator of high-quality, top-rated programming to American public television stations. You can learn more at aptonline.org.